Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome along to the second ever meeting of the Slacktivist Action Group, the second podcast. Um, the first podcast, which had, went out last month, we had Francis O'Grady as one of the guests, the TUC General Secretary. And for those of you who will remember, I was off to do the TUC rally in between that meeting and this one. So uh, some of the trade union legislation that was the trade union rally was about, it was the unions were going to have to let the government know if they wanted to use Facebook and Twitter and they would have to let them know two weeks in advance. And I had to make a three-minute little, three little speech, so I stood up and I said, well, if you know, the unions are going to have to let the government know that they're using Facebook and Twitter, I said to the trade union rally, why don't we all let you know, the government, and particularly Sergeant Javid, the man who's putting through the legislation for the government, the business secretary, why don't we let him know that we're all using Facebook and Twitter? And I said, we can let him know right now on Twitter by contacting him at Sajid Javid. And we can also contact him right now on Facebook, right, forward slash Sajid Javid Bromsgrove. But I said, if he's interested in whether we're using Facebook and Twitter, he might also be interested in whether we're using email. So I said... <laughs> Why don't we all email him right now and we can do that at sergeant.jarvid.mp at parliament.uk. And I said there are six million union members, right? So if everybody emails Sergeant Jarvid, we crash the system. When I said if he's interested in the emails, he may be interested in whether we're using phone or not. So I said, why don't we all phone Sergeant Jarvid at his constituency office and that number, for those of you who are interested, 01527 872135. But I said, right, if they expect all union officials to now wear an armband, I said, why don't we all wear an armband? Yeah? And then when they say, well, who is the union official? We can say, we all are. And when they say, and what's your name? We go, Spartacus. <laughs> And when they maybe arrest us and when they maybe take us to a police station and when they maybe say you've only got one phone call, we all know who we're going to call, don't we? <laughs> now, I don't know how many people got in contact with Sergeant Javid, but the very next day, Sergeant Javid announced that they were scrapping the proposals <laughs> for Facebook and Twitter in the TU legislation. Slacktivism can work, ladies and gentlemen. So, we also, we had, uh, for the, at the last meeting, we, we basically, we agreed at the meeting that we were going to go off and we were going to go to the Royal Geographical Society and we were going to hear four top speakers doing a Q&A about climate change ahead of the Paris talks this week. Find out, you know, maybe get excited, go along to Paris, blah de blah Right? So, uh, Ten people, ten people in this meeting last month, they said that they were definitely, hand was up, they were definitely coming along. So I pitched up at the Royal Geographical Society, right? How many people do you think turned up, ladies and gentlemen? I'll tell you the answer. Two people turned up. Two people, and none of them were any of the ten who'd put their hands up at the meeting, okay? I was there, we had one person who turned up from listening to the podcast 
and we had another lady who turned up, right, because I'd advertised on Twitter that I had a spare ticket, okay? <laughs> so the three of us were there along, and it was, it was brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyable, Royal Geographical Society, very pretty building, and the talks were brilliant. I was, uh, I learned a lot, and um, I learned that all climate sceptics are now known as lukewarmers, which I enjoyed very much. And I also found out that they reckon there was four speakers, they all sort of convinced, obviously, that the, the planet is hotting up, but the... Uh, they said they reckoned there was a good chance that the Gulf Stream was going to shift. So that, in fact, as the planet warmed up, Britain was going to get colder. And I was thinking, you know, it's incredible. The only Britain's weather could be so shit that as the entire planet hots up, we, in fact, get colder. But I'm hoping that one of my fellow slacktivists who was, uh, who was there, one of the, the other two who turned up, Jessica, is in the audience tonight. Jessica, are you in the audience? At the back, lovely, super. It's, it's never quite so good that somebody else has to answer for you there, Jessica, but, uh, <laughs> but welcome, welcome along. So if we pass the microphone along to Jessica, I'm hoping that Jessica will, uh, will let the meeting know briefly what she, she got out, if anything, of um, turning up to the Royal Geographical Society. So when we went along, I thought, you know, it's going to be about how we're becoming more resilient to climate change, but I thought there'd also be an undertone of positivity and that we might get over it and it's going to be fine, but there wasn't and it was very, it was very much, no, this is definitely happening and we need to, rather than try and prevent it, we need to just try and cope. So uh, I was quite devastated. I wasn't <laughs> mentally prepared for that. So there we go, turn up with the Slacktivist Action Group and be devastated, ladies and gentlemen. That was exactly the positive vibe we were hoping to create for this evening. So, uh, but I actually, the, you know, it, it is true that there was nobody, nobody was denying it was happening. They were all going, well, it's definitely going to be 2.5 degrees, it may be 4 degrees, whatever. Um, but the, all four of them did say that they were the most positive that they'd been about, um, about climate change in terms of getting a deal in Paris, because now India was on board and China was on board, they thought, and America was on board. There was also some hope that um, the solar power in America now is apparently cheaper in certain parts of America than fossil fuels. And so they were saying there was a chance that renewables were coming through. They all thought that George Osborne was doing a terrible job giving subsidies to nuclear and you know, taking subsidies away from renewables. And there was a general feeling that we should all be very thankful to the Germans, because the reason that solar power, the cost of solar power have come down every year since 1990 is that in 1990, the Germans made a massive investment into solar power and uh, we've all been benefiting uh, subsequently. So we should probably throw that in to the, uh, the song equation, shouldn't we? You know, uh, two world wars and one World Cup now plays four World Cups, yeah? Looking after an awful lot of Syrian refugees and saving the planet. So uh, I'm not sure whether that's going to scan lyrically, but that's essentially <laughs> what it is at the moment. So we have one further task before I introduce the guests. Thank you very much to Jessica. Now we need a secretary for this evening, okay? Um, we had a secretary for our first meeting. The, the idea is that you basically recap at the end of the meeting what, what has happened for those with short-term memory difficulties, okay? Now, various people are being pointed in my front row at the moment, yeah? And in the second row as well. This is, this is an awful lot of keenness, not from the people themselves, but from the people sat next to them, I've noticed, ladies and gentlemen. But yes, all you've got to do, I mean, we, you can take notes if you want to. We did, the person last time did take notes, and uh, they, they were trying to recap what we've been talking about, Jeremy Corbyn, and they, they said, oh yes, 66-year-old virgin. And then they'd realised they'd misread their notes and it was 66-year-old vegan. But there we go. So, so who would like to be tonight's secretary? All you've got to do basically, you know, just stand up at the end, give us a little quick recap. But all you've really got to say at the end, it's only a job for tonight. You've got to say, I resign at the end and sit down. So anybody think they can manage that? Who's, who's up for having a crack at that tonight? The, uh, there's a few people... Gentlemen at the end there, you've been volunteered. Are you okay for that? Excellent. Super work. It's your birthday today, is it, sir? Welcome along. What's, what's your name? Danny. 
Danny, welcome along. Danny is our secretary tonight, so we look forward to hearing from Danny later on. But now it gives my pleasure to introduce our three guests tonight. We have the former shadow, shadow foreign minister, David Hanson. We also have deputy editor of the New Statesman, Helen Lewis. And we also have the Press Guild columnist of the year 2015, Mark Steele. Would you please welcome them all to the stage, ladies and gentlemen. Here we come. So, thank you very much, everybody, for coming along. This is the Slacktivist Action Group so far. This is Danny, our secretary, Dan here. And uh, exciting day today, David. The, um, the Labour Party has decided to, uh, to go for a free vote on Syria. Absolutely, Andy. We've spent three days deciding what to do. We finally settled on doing whatever we want. Yes. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is great. Well, I mean, there was obviously there was a certain amount of um, sort of debate within the shadow cabinet, shall we say. And obviously, I think Jeremy Corbyn was very keen, wasn't he, to make sure that th there was an opposition to bomb Syria. Uh, and then obviously various people, including your old boss, Hillary Benn, who was saying that he was very keen to get involved uh, in Syria. And obviously, from the point of view, given that Jeremy Corbyn rebelled up to 500 times or whatever previously, yeah. he, he can't very well then, you know, when other people turn around and say, I'm voting with my conscience, I thought that's what you would have liked, Jeremy. He hasn't really got a, a leg to stand on, has he? Well, well he hasn't really, but uh, irrespective of all of that, I mean, basically, there was a period in about 2001 to 2005 where Jeremy Corbyn voted more against the government than David Cameron did, which is quite <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so there you go. But I mean, for me, I've been a Labour MP 23 years. I've never once rebelled. Uh, Jeremy's done 500 in the last four to f ten years. So, uh, four to ten years. Well, they're, 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 they're very specific. Very specific. Yeah. yeah. Very specific. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, feel free to join in the rest of the panel. But the from from the point of view, I mean, David Cameron was looking to to get uh, a bombing sort of motion done in 2013, didn't get enough votes for that, now he's keen to do it again. The only difference between the two, as I see, is he's now keen to bomb exactly the other side Absolutely. from the one that he wanted to bomb in 2013. <laughs> so he seems to be very keen to bomb both sides, yeah. and that doesn't seem necessarily like a foreign policy, more like maybe a man who's got a lot of bombs that are coming up to, <laughs> coming up to a use-by date, if he, perhaps. If he'd got his way last time, now that he wants to bomb the other side, he'd presumably have to go to the people he, he'd given the arms to and go, can we have them back? Because we've swapped sides. That's presumably what he'd have to do. Well, that's right. I mean, the, obviously, you know, in terms of... We were keen to bomb Assad, weren't we, in 2013? And, you know, Assad obviously is against the Kurds who are against the Turks, who are against Iran, who are against Saudi Arabia, who are against ISIS, who are against us. I mean, if you miss out all of the middle people... We're essentially against ourselves, aren't we? <laughs> if you were playing Risk and that was a board game, yeah, you'd have a couple of paracetamol and go to bed, wouldn't you? I think you would, Andy, yeah. yeah. And, and, but the, a serious point is, I mean, people like me, and it's, it's, it's a really serious issue, we have to make a decision on Wednesday. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. We've got to make well, a decision. We, we will try and persuade you today. We, try and persuade. we have to make a decision, because at the moment, you know, like it or not, we're bombing in Iraq. ISIL targets, and the question is, what do we do about ISIL in Syria? It's rather like, you know, here, if ISIL is in London uh, and uh, Brighton, they're, they're in Brighton as well. Do we bomb Brighton as well as London? That's, that's, that's the argument. In terms of Iraq and Syria, that's where they are. There's a difference is there. You've got to make a decision, and that's the question we have to no, answer. But, but against that is the thing that Annie's just said, which is that they wanted to bomb the other side, and now there's about 15 yeah. different groups all fighting each other, and David Cameron has invented 70,000 moderates that just nobody has ever discovered before, that are apparently armed, and MPs apparently are going, oh, they've got these 70,000 undiscovered moderates. He might as well say, there's a giant talking squirrel that has asked, asked us to arm it. So it's completely made up. And I, I don't know if this is a persuasive argument for you to vote against the bombing. But I think... I think that, I'd like to hear you stand up and talk about the squirrel in the House well, of Commons. I think that the argument against it is it's mental. <laughs> it's mental because there's about a hundred competing sides. We're apparently against ISIS, but we're for Turkey, even though they're on the same side as ISIS, and we're against Assad, even though we're going to be bombing along with Assad. 
and uh, the the bombs aren't going to make much difference, but it's essential that we do it, and uh, it, it's mad. And what's going to happen, I should imagine, is that they will eventually have some sort of victory, and it'll be like mission accomplished in Afghanistan, or when they pulled the statue over in Baghdad, and they will say, see, we've done it, and in a year's time, there'll be even more filth and destruction than there was before, just like there was on both of those occasions, and ISIS will be replaced by an even more terrible organisation called the Holy Quranic Universal Cult of Evil and Destruction, and, uh, and it'll be even but worse. The trouble and is, that's though, happened every time up to now, and all the MPs are going... Well, I wonder what will happen this time. Surely the same thing that happens every single time can't happen again. Helen, over no, to you. I, but, I mean, I, I, I'm, I find myself reluctantly cast in the hawkish sort of Dick Cheney role here, but how is that different to what happens if we don't go in? I mean, it is... The whole place is... I mean, a lot of it looks like a kind of car park. I mean, it's not like this is, you know, this is a pristine country that we're about to go and fuck over. It's pretty fucked already. Well, if we if we look at those, what, what do you make well, of but that? If you, so are you saying that if you see something that's pretty fucked, the best thing to do is to blow it up? <laughs> <laughs> no, but and I then think... it'll probably be all right then. <laughs> no, but I think I think you can I think you can take the point that it's not like there are two good options here, right? And I'd be really suspicious of anybody who says that we have a good option, that there is any outcome of no, this that looks no, good. No right? good option, but you can make things worse, and that's what uh, the bombing has done every time. And what I can't believe is these people like Hillary Benn, who voted for the war in Iraq, which even Tony Blair accepts is a major cause of all the filth and destruction that's gone on since and has led to the creation of, of ISIS, or has Lee played quite a big role. These people, I don't mind them having an opinion, but they should be, they should have to say, before I make my comments known, uh, bear in mind my opinion is worthless. Because the last time I had to make a decision on this, I made such an utter balls up of it that I managed to make Iraq under Saddam even worse. So I am allowed an opinion, but I might as well slither along the floor and eat bugs for all the good it is. Because uh, oh, it's unbelievable that they got that they that they sort of that they they have the arrogance. Someone like Hillary Benn, who's but where is Jeremy Corbyn? He's an idiot because he was against the war in Iraq, which turned out to be the right thing. I can't. It just seems so ridiculous to me to go and to also to fall for all the Cameron stories in exactly the same way as they people fell for Blair. It's not different. Blair didn't turn up and go. Oh, I've got a load of shit. I've just made up. Let's have a war in Iraq. He was as plausible as Cameron was the other day. He does have the weapons of mass destruction. I've got it on a bit of paper. Oh, well, all right then. But, he, I mean, let's, let's, let's have a quick look at what Cameron did say. He did say that there were 70,000 mod, moderate troops or troops that they could deal with, didn't he? And they then they don't say moderate, actually. They say non-extremist. Yeah, that's it. Which yeah. is a very, very important <laughs> distinction, i.e. they probably will cut someone's hands off, but they might not also throw a gate. But also, I'm not linked to Al-Qaeda. I mean, that's how bad it's got. It's got, like, Al-Qaeda, well, at least they're the moderate ones. That's... That's the point we've got to now. Well, they, I mean, and they tried to train some more, didn't they? And they spent six hundred million. The Americans trying to train them, and then they, out of the six hundred million that they spent, fifty-eight went back over the border from Jordan to fight. And then they were asked, weren't they, because they wanted some more money to train some more? And they said, "How many do you think are currently active out of the people you spent six hundred million on?" The answer came back. Four or five. <laughs> it's not the best use of money, that is it. But there's other things you can do as well. I mean, this is where perhaps I can agree with Mark to some extent, because there's things like, for example, oil. Uh, ISIS has got a lot of oil based on where it is currently now, and it's flogging it to somebody. Now, who is that somebody, and why are they buying it, and how can we stop them doing it? And we've been asking questions in the Commons last week about how you put sanctions on countries that are buying oil, because it could even be, you know, the Saudis or the Turks, allegedly. Yeah, but these 70,000, they're, they're obviously going to be less than that, aren't they? Because they're currently being bombed by Russia. Well, that's, that's so, that, you know, that, 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 these people that we're hoping to work with, Vladimir yeah. Putin's come in, you know, and obviously... That's, that's part of the dilemmas that we face, Andy. I mean, this is, it's a, for us, it's a real decision. I've got to walk through a lobby on Wednesday voting yes to an attack to try and have objectives which people might not agree with or no to an attack. And either way... All of us have real pressures on this. You know, I, I was awake after night last night thinking about what I'm going to do, genuinely, because it, it was a real worry about how you exercise that power you've been given and how you're accountable for that in due course. And it's a big, difficult decision, and it's got to be about how do you secure the region, how do you secure the UK, and also how do you tackle what is, in my view, a, a very difficult, challenging, poisonous uh, ideology. Yeah, no, I mean... 
Obviously, there's tensions with NATO member Turkey having them shot down the plane. Putin said recently only an insane person in a dream could imagine that Russia would ever attack NATO. But part of you wondered if he had, in fact, had that dream and he was just giving us the heads up on his mental state. (laughs) So, what I mean, Mark, you, you were famously not allowed... To, uh, to join the Labour Party. Um, have they no, let you, do you join think now? It was, do you think it was the talking squirrel line? <laughs> uh, well, maybe the fact that you just said it was all mental and that was, that was you know... The, uh, uh, what, no, what I, did I, I didn't... I applied to register as a supporter. You're I right. applied to, to join. And uh, have you tried to re-register now that Jeremy Corbyn has won? I haven't, no. no. This is not new, Andy. I joined the Labour Party 39 years ago and it took me six months to get in because they, they said they were full at the time, definitely. You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> new. This is not new. No, but it's not the same, though, is it? I got, a, I got a, an email saying you uh, have been declined, your, mem- your application to register as a supporter has been declined because you do not share the aims and values of the Labour Party. It wasn't just sort of, it wasn't just that they go, oh, we've got so much in the office, I can't get round to Mark's application. It was that they did send me that. Yeah. I did. You I did didn't. want to write back yeah. and say I'm sorry. I've been busy. I didn't have time to invade him. Was that Iraq. knocking on doors but in Brighton for the Greens? <laughs> you were busy, wasn't it? That's why. Eh? <laughs> like knocking on doors in Brighton for the Greens. Was that that busy? I did. I did knock on doors. I did knock on doors in Brighton for the Greens. I did for Car- for Caroline Lucas. Was it because you were worried that somebody was going to either bomb London or Brighton and you wanted to make sure? <laughs> I did also knock on doors for Nancy Platts in Brighton. Kemp Town. It seems to me ridiculous that Nancy Platts is uh, a, a very fine woman. You probably know, do you? Yeah, yeah, she's working in Germany's office now. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed to me that it would be a good thing, from my point of view, if Nancy Platts was elected as the member rather than the but Conservative that, that, means that was le- there. That means you're left wing, not a Labour supporter, doesn't it? That means you will support can- Labour candidates when they're you know, the right bit of left wing for you, but you don't support the aims of the Labour Party. It's not reasonable, is it? Well, it depends. Well, unless you think that the aims of the Labour Party can only be one thing, but there are well, the Labour to, to Party is Labour many different. I mean, I don't, I don't support the aims of Tony Blair because the aim of Tony Blair is to make himself the richest person there's ever been from like, through things like advising the Kazakhstani government on how it can oppress its its I'm, people. I'm, I'm not quite sure. There was certainly some some feeling within the audience there. Either they were booing Tony Blair. And maybe about two no. years too late. <laughs> or whether they, they're not happy with your comments on Tony Blair. Which was it? Oh, no. But you see, I mean, this is again, there are people in my constituency in North Wales today who've got decent levels of income because the minimum wage was there. And that was brought in by the Labour government with Tony Blair as the Prime Minister. I spent 36 hours one day, Andy, staying up all night because the Tories were voting against the minimum wage. That's one of the achievements of the Blair government. There are people in my constituency who go walk through the door of a brand new hospital because it was built by the Blair government. There are people who've got educational maintenance allowance. Right, but do you could, yeah, but you could, so but there's lots of good things. You the know. question not was... Not no, 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 bad. I'm not saying no, it's all bad. bad. What I was saying is that it's, it's impossible to say you support all the aims and the values of the Labour Party, if you if you if you imagine that the aims and values of the Labour Party are whatever the leader says at, yeah, at no. any point, and you must have done that. I know. I find it extra- extraordinary that you've not rebelled once. Does that mean you've honestly agreed with everything that the Labour Party has done well, since see, since well, it came it's, in? It's an old-fashioned concept, but I actually have collective responsibility. You know, I, I took a, a vow with the party to deliver certain things, so I haven't got the chance to freelance on everything. I had to deliver things as a, as a minister. If I was a minister for thirteen years. I had to deliver things and that's, that was important for us to try and do that and I'm actually proud of things like the minimum wage and things like educational maintenance allowance and things like you know, the Freedom of Information Act, my area, the Welsh Assembly Government, Scottish Parliament, all those things were delivered because I had collective responsibility and stuck with it. And, and it's a reasonable point isn't it? I mean, Jim, I think, I think we've, we've worked out where, where they were there on that point. But, the, the, um, but you could be proud of something. It doesn't mean you have to be proud of, of, of everything. Of no, course you can be proud Dave, of that. David's point, David's point, Mark, is that you, Jeremy Corbyn has got to persuade the country in 2020 Absolutely. that he, he can get a majority and that he could get a government, right? Now, if at the moment he can't even persuade his own MPs 
to give him some sort of, you know, mandate, he's going to struggle to convince the country, isn't he? And, and therefore, all the things that you would like to see happen, he hasn't got actually a chance to do. And Michael Foote, who you may remember, he might have been a brilliant thinker, but he's not remembered by many people at the moment. And if he is, he's remembered as the bloke with the duffel coat who of looks course. a bit like Paddington. Of course. I, uh, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn's dilemma, of course, is that he has got two different audiences, if you like, or, uh, uh, and one of those is that he clearly, clearly, he inspired, you can hate him if you like, he clearly inspired a great many more people to join the Labour Party, to come along and hear political debates and so on, to go to the meetings than any Labour leader had done for some time. There's no question about that. No, Ed Miliband, Bless him, I've got nothing against the bloke, he seems a perfectly reasonable bloke, but he could not get 8,000 people to turn up and then have to do a second but meeting outside it, of town hall, stood on a fire. He did make sure that you could join for three quid, which uh, <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't have had a chance to do otherwise. No, no, of course, <laughs> of course, but, but Jeremy Corbyn managed to attract uh, an audience for politics in a way that, that no other politician has done for some time. Clearly, he inspired... A great many people. Whether it's enough to, to win an election or not, that's another matter. It doesn't look as if he's going to be given a chance to persuade the country in any meaningful way, because as soon as that happened, the 90%, whatever figure it is, of the parliamentary Labour Party that doesn't like him, has just set about undermining everything he's... Yeah. he's He's doing, well, and that's in particular at the moment. And I think it is a. Is, uh, is is a it, is it I thought I'd just come up with a load of jokes. I didn't realise it was going to go down this <laughs> road. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, no, I think incidentally, when you were talking about speaking at a rally, it reminded me the last time I'd, I spoke at anything like that. Uh, there was a trade union official. Did the, it was a load of people. It was a big sort of people's assembly. There was a lot of people there, and he said the most trade union official thing. Possible, I reckon. He went up and said he was chairing it, emceeing it, and he said, uh, "We have got over fifty thousand people here, whatever the number was." And looking on Twitter, you will be proud to know that we are now trending above Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. Yeah. So he's got these. He's got. Two two different audiences, yeah. and the parliamentary Labour Party is not giving him very much chance. There are uh, MPs that are undermining at every point. But what would you have said and if someone joined the Blairs? Someone has said to you, "Come on, do you really want a Tory government? Why aren't you getting behind Tony Blair? Why aren't you giving him a chance?" Well, the number of the number of MPs who spoke out against Tony Blair was was tiny, wasn't it? There wasn't a... There, there wasn't a... Uh, the undermining that there is now, where shadow foreign secretaries are uh, going on television or going on radio willy-nilly just to uh, denounce whatever he, he, the leader, the elected leader, that's, 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 said that's half because, an That's because there's a lack of discipline at the moment, and that's, that's a genuine issue. I mean, I, I, I'm, I didn't vote for Jeremy. In fact, I put him forth, just so he knows. <laughs> uh, but... But... I'm trying to give him the, the, the fair wind because at the end of the day, I want a Labour Party in power, not a Tory Party in power. Now, to get that Labour Party in power, strangely, Andy, we have to actually get people who didn't vote for us in May to vote for us. Uh, the things that the minimum wage happened because there were eight Labour MPs in Kent, because there were five Labour MPs in Norfolk, where there are now no Labour MPs in Kent. So that's what we have to do, and that's where I think Jeremy has to. Uh, as to up his game is to try and appeal beyond so his you're, core. So you're seem, you seem to be blaming no. him for, no. for not having discipline in the party rather than no, well, the, well, all these not. people who but, are but, trying but, to undermine him. No, but no, no, there's I'm a reasonable not. point though, isn't it? Because if he never had That'd be like if I started punching someone no, no. and said, you should be disciplining me more. But if you used to punch loads of people and now you don't want to be punched, you haven't caught on the same foot. OK, there is one crucial difference here, which is that Jeremy Corbyn has been elected as leader of the Labour Party What's by his own, by his own Tony members. Blair, so Gordon Brown. Well, I think there's so a difference here because so Jeremy, Corbyn has in, uh, Jeremy Corbyn has inspired uh, is the numbers no. he's got are far... And no, I, do, no, I, do, no, I do agree with you yeah. that in 1997, in yeah. those early days, when Blair clearly had inspired people, I think yeah. despite yeah. himself, to be honest, but I think yeah. there was a... You know, <laughs> that we, could, we can leave that aside. Uh, but, but clearly there was a... Clearly there was a, a an excited mood, I think, at the yeah. time yeah. before yeah. Tony Blair was elected, and certainly for a year or two in debate, how long 
afterwards. Well, so that, that, uh, that Dream's career didn't last too long, did it? So, <laughs> but those, but those were the that was the point at which there was talk of an ethical foreign policy, and uh, and it did. seemed like a new world. Mm. You know, the Tories have gone. It seemed like a new world, yeah. and that was exciting. And at that point, then it, of course it would be very different. But then if someone then decides to create a, a fabricate a dossier in order to invade Iraq and lead to the which has led to the just about everybody agrees with this now as at least contributed well, I think to this bit, appalling state that there, we've though, got Mark. in now we've still got the inquiry to come through here <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> I know well as some people have said they should be I hope Chilcott's already started on the disaster that's going to come from this one because he, he's going to need you, a bit of time you're saying, you're saying you don't think that uh, Jeremy Corbyn's been given a chance but it, in some ways there have been perceived own goals if, you know yeah of course John, John McDonnell yeah. and the Chairman Mao throwing yeah. the red book across. Genius, yeah. Yeah, genius. <laughs> genius. yeah that you, does not got, help your cause. That you, is very much, you, you it is the, very you, much like sometimes supporting a football team no. and then, oh, the goalkeeper, what are you doing? No, no, no. Yeah. You've, got, you've got the grand old Duke of York who marches his troops up the top of the hill, George Osborne, to say we're going to have tax credit cuts and then at the top of the hill he says, I'm marching you back down again. If I was a Tory MP, I'd be furious. They all cheered him because they realised that uh, the guy is, 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 a, is a charlatan. Now, John, unfortunately, threw it away by throwing the... Yeah, no, I agree with that. There's, there's a real point on there that you know, he could have really hit Osborne hard and he, and he fluffed it, but that's, that's life. But it happens to all of us at some point. We all fluff it, probably tonight for me. But we, we all fluff <laughs> but, it well, you've not, you know, didn't have any sleep last night, so you're doing no, very well, no, you no, see. No, so. no, no, no. But... Most of the people who are most vocal in trying to undermine Jeremy Corbyn from within the Labour Party at the moment yeah. are people who went along with the tax credit cuts, people who said that they, no, they should be opposed. That. No, we've never done that. We've never done We voted against it in September, we voted against it in July, we've never done the tax credit cuts. Yeah. We've always voted against them, every time, well, may, maybe, to a person. Maybe, maybe at that point it, it, it's worth... Um, you were the, the shadow foreign minister, your was. remit was... Um, part of it was sub-Saharan Africa, was, yeah. and you got very involved with the... Um, illegal wildlife trade and uh, in terms of rhino horn I noticed they've yeah. just started uh, saying that they're going to re-legalise the, the trade yeah. um, and what's your feeling on that? That's well, something that's come I, in the last I, week or something. I could, I could have picked any topic tonight Andy but I wanted to pick something that people don't really think about very much to try and get people to have some activity on that and you know, we've got an illegal wildlife trade which if I said to people tonight it's the fourth biggest criminal activity in the world you know, would people know that? I don't think they would. If I said to people tonight that 25,000 African elephants each year are killed for their tusks and for their, you know, for their horns, uh, I don't think people would know that. If I said that you know, there are thousands upon thousands of rhinos... Now, people... It came to the fore during the summer with Cecil the Lion. Now, I actually think that you know, Cecil the Lion is better wandering around Africa than he is uh, being shot by a dentist for fun. Now, what we can do about that is, is several things. And uh, this, this trade means that there's $7 to $10 billion worth of uh, criminal activity going on now in Africa and elsewhere. The Chinese are buying rhino horn for reasons that we can talk about if you want to, but you can guess. Well, the, uh, well, I mean, the Vietnamese are certainly buying it for, for aphrodisiac. Yeah, absolutely. It? Given that, as we know, they're an endangered is, species, absolutely. They're, they're not great at reproduction, so uh, uh, no. you're not doing yourself any favours on, on a logical basis, shall we say. No. So, and, and there's, there's a whole range of things. People all sit around and say it's a really bad thing, it's a terrible thing, but actually, what do we do about it? So I've got some suggestions which I can give you now, I'll give you later, about what we do about it. But the key thing is, today, somewhere in Africa, there'll be a holiday company selling a holiday to somebody to go and put a lion's head on a trophy in a, in a room somewhere else. And I think that is something we shouldn't tolerate in the United Kingdom and we should be doing our bit to stop. Very much so. And, you know, in, in terms of uh, the, the dentist, he was actually shot with a bow and arrow. So yeah. 40 hours before Cecil the lion died... So not, not only shooting the line, but also prolonging pain. Absolutely. Would you really want somebody like that as your dentist? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what, are, what are your suggestions? David? Well, I think that there's about five things we can do. Very quick. I mean, the, yeah. first, the first thing is, if you go on the Foreign Office website, it tells you now if there's terrorist threat. It tells you if you can, uh, you know, you're going to get mugged. It tells you everything else. It doesn't tell you ethical standards about what the country is like. And I think it's fairly simple to say there are international standards on call CITES whereby countries have to sign up to an international standard on, uh, on ivory. And if you're not signed up to that, I'd want to know. 
I, I think we should know. We should have it on the, on the website. We should say that, and then we can stop that. Second thing is, it's in the power of government to stop people importing and make it a criminal offence importing what I call trophies, you know, uh, lion heads and all that. The UK government are considering it. They shouldn't consider it. They should just do it. They should just do it. It's a simple thing to do. It can be done in a piece of legislation. In the next five or six weeks, they should just do it. And I think also, we've just got to raise awareness. And uh, for me, it's an important issue. It's, it's maybe not as important as tax credits. It's not as important as the war. It's not as important as public housing. But it's an issue that people don't talk about. They should talk about. And I want to make sure that we have high moral standards on this issue. And tonight, you can go away and tweet uh, a little number I'll give you in a minute when I find it. Yeah. And you can also uh, write to your MP and say to them, ask the Foreign Office to put advice on as to whether countries meet the standards internationally. And if, you, if you're in the Bromsgrove constituency, the email address you need, sergeant.david.mp at parliament.uk. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, all this from a week when, you know, Japan obviously decided that they were going to do uh, whaling yeah. again, unilaterally, for scientific research, which they then end up eating. Yeah. So, uh, not no. quite sure what the scientific no, research no. is. Oh, just check whether this tastes of whale. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. No, we should, we should, we just should get to it. It's something we shouldn't accept and shouldn't, uh, shouldn't tolerate. And it's something that is easy to do. Because, again, I spent the whole of my, uh, you know, a small thing, I spent the whole of my 70s and 80s in the 1970s and 80s not drinking South African wine. You know, not buying uh, South African oranges. Now, that little sort of stone on a pile of pebbles mightn't have made much difference but at the end of the day I knew I wasn't involved in it, I knew I didn't support it and I knew I'd helped in some way to make sure that regime changed and if I know about whether African elephants are being hunted badly in a country or not badly in another country and the government in that country is trying to do something about it then actually I might go somewhere else on my holidays. Okay well you, 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 you check your notes, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that because that sort of impinges on what Helen yeah. was going to talk about in terms of getting people involved with stuff and apathy and uh, what's your take on, on I mean Mark was talking about Jeremy Corbyn having sort of you know have lots of people signing up to the Labour Party, him having to give speeches at town halls three times over because nobody could get, not enough people could get seats inside and you know it was almost like he was the political equivalent of One Direction for a moment there so well they, they wear vests as well don't they so you know he just needs a couple of days in the gym and he'll, he'll be Mr January before, uh, before it all happens <laughs> But uh, hashtag NIWT, hashtag NIWT. Tweet that out tonight. Yeah. Lovely. There we go. Uh, yeah, I went to a Jeremy Corbyn rally. Actually, there was one down the road from me, and it was amazing. Well, it was many reasons it was amazing. Not least because it went on for three hours, and he didn't come on until the end. And I thought, well, this is something quite new. It's a Monday night, a rainy Monday night, and people have waited three hours for quite a tired-looking bloke to come out and say about five sentences, and then they all sang the red flag. Um, I, I have no... I'm, I'm sorry, Mark, to, to break this to you. I don't know the words to red flag, and someone said, basically sing, Oh, Christmas Tree. Because <laughs> the, the tunes are very similar, and then and no one will notice. So, yeah, that was my experience of Corbyn Mania, such as it was. And how did Oh, Christmas Tree go down? Oh, yeah, really well. Good Excellent. reviews. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that was everyone doing it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Hang on a minute. But yeah, the thing I wanted to talk about is, is apathy, because we hear all the time, you know, the big problem in politics is that no one cares. And 66% um, turnout of the last election, and there is a real problem that turnout rises as you get up the income stream. Uh, sorry, about... Uh, yeah, both things, actually, uh, but also through age brackets as well, really. And that really deeply skews the policies that we get and the promises that get made. So this, um, the ultimate statement that we just had, for example, you know, the, the state pension was protected. It's got this thing called the triple lock, so it goes up by more than inflation. So you end up in this strange situation now where there are more working-age people in poverty than pensioners, by far. And, and that's down to the fact that they, they turn out. They turn out on polling day, so they get what they want. Whereas young people, you know, who maybe are, are struggling on to find a job or to buy a house or to pay off their student loan debt, they're just not as important to politicians. So there is something that we really need to do about apathy. And what well, isn't one of the things we can do is we can put the voting age at 16. Yeah. You know, because the, at the moment, age 16, you can... Uh, you can sort of fight for your country, can't you? You can, you can leave home, you can have sex, get married, and you can buy liqueur chocolates, <laughs> but you can't vote. And obviously, you know, if you, you, know, you muck up a vote, it's not that important, sport ballot paper, but if you muck up leaving home 
having sex, fighting for your country or buying liqueur chocolates, you can find yourself, if I remember how this joke goes, okay? <laughs> you can find yourself, right? Homeless, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> homeless, a parent, dead or extremely fat and really angry that you're not even slightly pissed. <laughs> yeah, and you're right, and, and during the Scottish referendum they let people vote at 16 and the sky did not fall in, as it turned out. You know, turnout was really, really high in that. Um, and I think that would really, you know, would really help. That would be something we could do. But the other thing we can do to combat apathy is, is really small-scale stuff. It's interesting you're talking about you know, the kind of pebble on the top of the, the bricks. Um, one of the most interesting things that I've listened to in the recent weeks is we heard from both uh, Tessa Jal and Sadiq ja- um, you're getting your bloody side Javid yeah. in my head. No, Feel I mean, free to tweet him. Yeah. Be fine. I mean, Sadiq Khan, who's also running for, for Labour. Um, and, and actually, as soon as they started talking about the things that they wanted to do as London Mayor, I went, this is really weird. So they said, OK, so we're going to sell off some TfL land and build some affordable houses on that. You know, we're going to pedestrianise Oxford Street. And you went, oh, right, so you can actually just go... And it's... It's done. Oh, and that's what I'm, I mean. You know, obviously, it could go badly wrong if we ended up getting someone who's a bit Kim Jong Un. But <laughs> mayors have real power, real power, and that's because they they govern a unit that is kind of governable, really. Whereas, you know, even at national level, things are, are too big. And then you've got all these international institutions. I mean, Syria is a classic example. What we do with our four tornadoes is kind of slightly pitiful, really, when it comes to the fact that we've got all these organisations around. So, this is my thing. Do something before next time that is very, very, very small indeed. And the one thing I want you to do is to, if you work in an office, ask your office cleaner if they get paid living wage. Find out if they do. And I think if they don't, see if you can talk to your management about getting them living wage. Because there is a huge difference between the minimum wage, which is now £6.70, and the London living wage, which is now £9.40. So if you think about the difference that that makes, a third of someone's wage is what they need to actually live in London to make that work. These people might be coming to work on the bus, they might have to get a bus through the night because they work anti-social hours. And this was obviously placed back into the tax credits thing because obviously, you know, the the whole idea was that... uh, you know, George Osborne was trying to build the idea that the living wage would come through, but it wasn't going to come through for another five no, years. It'd be and like it was, £7.20 when it and comes... And it wasn't even going to make up the difference, was it? No, and, and it'd be nowhere near the London living wage whenever it arrives. We, we obviously had the House of Lords, which suddenly became everybody's favourite unelected <laughs> body, you know. It was like, it was confusing, wasn't it, for those people who wanted it abolished, suddenly Absolutely. it was doing something good, and it was yeah. like, well, maybe we will abolish it, but, but not for five years until this Parliament ends or whatever. I think, so, I, I think the House of Lords has got... I mean, it's brilliant that they, they did do that that they did block it but it wasn't just the house of lords was it it was that was a reflection of the fact that there was a sort of national outrage you know, or an outrage from many millions of people about it and that sort of came through in all sorts of ways yeah. so I, I think it's a bit frustrating and again i think that's you know, in with his red book didn't help this but uh, <laughs> that's the point that i was sort of yearning that should be uh, should have been made when they were abolished that yeah. this is a result of millions of people being cross and all the letters to local papers and all the ways in which these sort of things filter through. The interesting and thing, uh, Mark, yeah. as well, is that sorry, the, the people that I know in my patch were, were, were cross, but most of all, they were petrified. <coughs> yes. They were really yeah, yeah, scared yeah, sure. about what the impact was going to be of those changes. So I had people emailing me, coming to see me at the surgeries, talking to me in the street, stopping me at Greg's pasty shop and having a chat about it, but they were really, really scared. And the, and the key thing that reflected into that was why MPs like all, all of us, but also, uh, to give them credit, some Tory MPs realised this is really bad for people on, on the lowest incomes. And whatever aspirations they have, and I can't speak for them, but whatever aspirations they have to have a low-tax, low-welfare economy, this meant that poor people were going to be poorer, who were actually at work. And they were working poor people, and that's why, you know, that they folded. But, but Osborne stuck to it right to the end and would have done it and still would do it if he can get away with it. But that, that's what made it even more outrageous. He didn't even say, well, we've got to find the money from somewhere else. He said, actually, we've now got the money. It's absolutely fine. So, you know, all of these people are going to have to suffer for no reason. You wonder what other part of the austerity programme he'll turn around in six months' time and go, actually, we didn't need to do that either. We're yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah. I don't think he'll say we didn't need to cut taxes to the richest people in the society, Andy. I don't think he'll be saying that in six months time no but I mean 
It's a good, it's, but it's a good argument for universal benefits, right? So yeah. tax credits were designed by Gordon Brown to be really hard to cut because you would have to screw over a huge number of people at the same time. And that's kind of a, a left-wing point about sort of solidarity, is that the more people are in, feel, genuinely feel that they're in this together, not in the horrible, we're in this together way, that it, it becomes much harder to screw people over. Yeah. And that's why I think you have to, if you can, and also the other thing is that People who work in cleaning jobs in offices, you know, they're much more likely to be low income, much more likely to be black, minority, ethnic, you know, much more likely to be shift apart part time workers. They're exactly the kind of groups that don't vote and as a result get screwed over. So if, you know, if you, if you can show them that you care about them, I think that means that they might feel that they have some investment well, in the political and system And also it, it is a point that, you know, you start small, you can have an effect, can't you? I mean, Amnesty is an example. They are one of their the things, the campaigns that they always think have the most effect is people individually writing letters and it, they're always they do it every year they've got some coming up i think local amnesty groups will be doing it in december and you know they, they will have an effect if you send enough letters and it, it, you know it's also an incredibly middle class form of protest isn't it no, nothing could be more middle class than starting off a letter dear kim jong-un you know <laughs> you you disappoint me and thinking it's going to have some sort of effect actually one of the most moving political protests i've ever seen um in hiroshima in japan they have letters from school children um from the t- from the town of hiroshima to every time any world leader does a nuclear test and they do literally write mr jong-un speaking as you know descendants of people who were melted 50 years ago we'd really very much like it if you didn't try and unleash nuclear hell upon the world you're sincerely the children of Hiroshima. Oh, do you think he reads them all? Yeah, I bet he does, yeah. watching his weird films well, of a yeah. night. You can understand why he gets across and finickety then. <laughs> so, Mark, let's move on to you. Comedy, uh, unlike other arts, we, we, we get sort of um, people taking jokes apart and saying uh, you shouldn't make a, a yeah, joke about I mean, that. Yeah, uh, well, this is... This probably, quite rightly, would look pretty trivial next to the things we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next to cleaners well, being paid a terrible wage and having to you know, get a bus that takes up 90% of their income. And So I'm not going to go, yes, well, never mind that and your Syria and ISIS, but comedy isn't given its true validity as a... But I think it's... Uh, I've noticed this over the last year or so, maybe two, two or three, no, probably more than that. But there's a trend, and comics who do the sort of club circuit tell me that they find this much more. And I, there's this sort of idea that the, any, jokes are taken literally, and there's a, you will, every now and again it gets a discussion on the radio or something like that, well, there was somebody did a, a joke about the war or somebody did a joke about something terrible. Really? Can comedians talk about this sort of thing? I mean, that's it's too serious to have a joke about. And the Daily Mail or whatever will have a great big page, won't they, condemning somebody for making a joke, usually Frankie Boyle or Jimmy Carr, saying how outrageous it is. And there seems... Now, Twitter yeah. amplifies this. I just if you, you put something on... Anyone who uses Twitter, you put something on it that is clearly just a frivolous flippant remark and you then think oh back comes all the people who take it literally when it was a hundred years since the start of the first world war we were told i can't remember by who the government i suppose to commemorate the event by turning our lights off in the evening if you recall and I just put on Twitter, I put, I've done my bit, I turned off my headlights as I was driving up the M23. Right? <laughs> and I've got amused myself. And then I just went and made a cup of tea or whatever, I fed the cat or whatever, and I came back and there was about 5,000 people. How dare you insult my great-great-granddad fought in Passchendaele? How dare you? He might as well not have bothered now that you've done that. And, uh, I, I, and did, it was you, just did you one... check the traffic report on the M23? <laughs> <laughs> But it just seems... It's very frustrating, I think, that we're coming... And we're coming into... Another one I did when I was... I was watching Trainspotting with my son, who's uh, was about a year ago, so he was about 18. And we were watching Trainspotting, and I just happened to put on there, I put, I'm watching Trainspotting with my son. It's made all those years of bringing him up worthwhile. <laughs> and then I looked down, and I looked, someone had sent me a message going, well, how old is your son? You could just... All the anger sort of fizzing out of it. So I put, it'll be four on Monday. <laughs> Because you just, and I, I, there just seems to be an enormous number of people who, first of all, take take everything literally. They don't get that there's a joke, but secondly, that 
the response to that that I find very frustrating is this thing, can comedy deal with that? And it assumes that comedy is a very low form of entertainment, if you like, because nobody would ever ask, can war be dealt with by a play? I mean, isn't it too serious for a playwright to deal with it? Nobody would say, war, this is a a, a women's domestic violence. Surely you can't have a song written about it. It's much too serious for that. And I think it's a sort of example of how, in this country particularly, comedy has a very low status but Still, is it, isn't really. it also partly, usually when they complain the Daily Mail, it's because of a joke on the BBC and it's a chance to, to hammer the BBC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of, course, of course they do, but it is, wider, it is wider than that. And comics on the club circuit, especially people who do the universities and so on, they, they tell me, a number, I don't know if you've got this, they tell me that they detect a sort of change in the way that people respond to jokes and that there is a sort of, as soon as it starts to even mention something that is contentious, that there's a sort of frisson in the room, that there wouldn't have been there 20... Oh, well, are, we allowed, are we allowed to include this as part of did, a comedy? They did some research in the States, didn't they? And they found out that actually young people, a lot of them, are getting their news from comedy shows. So there yeah, is yeah, a certain yeah. pressure on comedians to be accurate. <laughs> you know, if I've got some 16-year-olds going out tomorrow buying liqueur chocolates and I've got my facts wrong, they're in right trouble, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I don't know... Have you, do you detect any of this? I mean, that's different when you're doing your own show because you get your own audience. And oh, so on, but you know, I, I think you, you, you're going to get some idiots on Twitter anyway. So yeah, no, it's more than I, that, though. I, I think it's more. If it were just I, idiots on Twitter, I think it could be. But it, it's there's. But it doesn't comedy just reflect real life? I yeah, mean, I mean if you were Sergeant Jarvid, you'd think there was an awful lot yeah. of idiots on Twitter, wouldn't you? So, but <laughs> <laughs> well, comedy reflects real life. I mean, I'll give one example. I was Northern Ireland minister for two years, and the first day I arrived in Northern Ireland, I had t- two sets of bodyguards, one at the front, one at the back, and they gave me a briefing, and he said to me, Minister, he said, if we come under fire, he said, and Billy gets hit, he said, do what I say, he says, and if Roy gets hit, do what I say, and he says, and if I get hit, he says, run like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that was the bodyguard on my first day in Northern Ireland. So that, that, yeah. that, that might be all over Twitter, and it might be very bad taste for some yeah, people. Yeah, but, but I actually, think that, I think it's what happens in real life on a day-to-day yeah, basis. Course, what people of course make it is. Things, and people, who are in, people who are in sort of really difficult situations are more, they're more likely to make really dark jokes, yeah. aren't they? Nobody makes darker jokes than, than the... Well, that's one of the ones that there was uproar about, you know... Jimmy Carr joke about the army, wasn't it, about soldiers? And there was... Uh, I, well, I'm just very excited that we've had a, an MP come on here and say uh, the word fuck. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> isn't recorded, is it, by the time? But, yes, I mean, maybe at that moment we should, uh, we should you know, just plug those things again for the audience uh, who, who probably have short-term memory loss and to make sure Daniel's making... Uh, it was Daniel, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. so yeah... Just, uh, Helen, do you want to yeah, give Yeah, mine is just livingwage.org.uk. Quite simple. Just there we go. Yeah, get in touch right. with them. Well, mine is uh, write to your MP so you don't like the illegal wildlife trade. And if you want to tweet out tonight, end IWT hashtag. There we go. And uh, in terms of uh, sort of coming along for a bit of action uh, the in between now and the, the next meeting, um, there is a carol concert for... Um, it's carols in, in sort of candlelight, I think. It's... Uh, at St Botov's Without Bishop's Gate. It's for Operation Smile, which is a brilliant charity. They uh, do operations on people with cleft palates and cleft lips in the developing world. So I should be along there. So if people want to come along and help, um, then we can have uh, you know, put out some mulled wine and we'll be doing uh, carol sheets and all the rest of it. So uh, it's on Tuesday the 15th of December. So get on Twitter or Facebook or go to the website and let me know. Just for a laugh... Um, why don't we, anybody who fancies coming along and helping me out on December the 15th, Tuesday the December the 15th, let's just see, for, we know from last time that it makes absolutely no odds, <laughs> so just have some hands up, we, hands up how many people you think they might be able to turn up, one, two, three, so, oh look at that, we, we have got six, so uh, we look forward to seeing none of you at o- <laughs> Operation Smile. On, uh, on Tuesday the 15th. It should be on CCTV and you should track them down. If yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. We know where you live, don't worry. So, so lovely. So, uh, if there, um, in terms of anybody else listening on the podcast, if you want us to get involved with something, then please um, use, use Facebook or Twitter or the website and uh, let us know. I have a microphone. I'm very happy to travel. 
And uh, if you're thinking of doing something uh, for um, in terms of a, a resolution, then slacktivism is definitely the way forward. Don't give up cake and booze. That, that's, uh, that's the only way to get through the winter. So um, make sure you don't do that. So we have time now to do a few questions. If anybody uh, would like to ask any of our panellists anything about what you've heard tonight or about any other subject. We have a, somebody's waving at the back there. Somebody's very keen. We're just going to get the microphone yeah. in on them there. Um, so, lovely. Is it Mike at the end? Um, I can explain who, who, who everybody is again if you Please. need uh, yeah, help. Yeah, I do. Um, sure, Shall we start memory. the show again for you, yeah, madam? Would that help? Yeah. yeah. No, it's Mark. Is, is that Mark, your, is that Mark, your Mark, question? Mark, My Mark, question is, who Mark. the fuck are you? <laughs> exactly. And, and why, have, why have you been talking for the I'm entire time? I'm to watch a Samuel Beckett play. I mean, obviously, he's upstairs. And I can't believe you watch your son watch Trainspotting age four. <laughs> I want to know why you tweeted that you were watching Trainspotting with your son? Uh, no. Uh, uh, well, because he's four, and it's <laughs> only right no, that he I'm is introduced why to the... Uh, you uh, think it's important that people would know that? <laughs> yeah, it's not important that not people that know that. <laughs> there really isn't. But then if we only ever communicated when we had something important to say, there'd just be a big eerie silence, wouldn't there? <laughs> At uh, all times, there's just occasionally I'm, someone saying, the war started. I've, I've got to be honest, I'm slightly disappointed with our audience questions so far. <laughs> <laughs> We're expecting more than you getting abuse in the audience, as well as having got it on Twitter. I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should move on to our second question. I saw a lady down here with her hand up. We can come down the front. So, uh, so let's find out what the next question is. Here we go. I'd like to know what the panel think of... The reception Jeremy Corbyn has received from the media, how much is this a problem with them not being used to men of principle rather than style over substance? Well, David, let, let's, um, let's go to you on that I one. I think it should be recorded uh, in a minute. That you're, that not, a, you're not David, Mark. A group of people here have just hissed. A group of people here have Oh, oh, you want to do? Well, no, but I think that we, we've obviously worked out there's a difference of opinion. Yeah, well, it, the, if uh, only to do with train spotting. So um, <laughs> the uh, the core business of the Daily Mail is to do the Labour Party in. So uh, with Ed Miliband, they did him in. They're doing it much quicker with Corbyn. If if I were the Daily Mail myself, I'd want to try and keep Jeremy there because unless Jeremy widens his appeal, we might lose the election. I g genuinely mean that. We've got to widen our appeal to win the election. But the core business of a lot of the newspapers who are owned by a small group of people is to do in the Labour Party and actually not to uh, have some of the issues that we would have done had we been in the government now in terms of press regulation. That's what they don't want. So they're about trying to do us in. Simple as that. I mean, I th I th Not I think very that funny, but that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I agree with you. That the, the media have been horrendously unfair. I think that's fair to say that there have been things that were just obviously made up, like him not bowing at the cenotaph. But I think the idea that he's, he is... This idea that he is principled and no one else in the Labour Party has any principles is one I... Actually, weirdly, he has been a much more flexible leader than, than you'd have thought. So he wanted to pull us out of NATO, but he's ditched that. He, what, he is the tendency to be a Eurosceptic. I think he would like to see us out of Europe, but he knows the party membership isn't with him on that, so he's, he's dropped that one as well. And actually, today what you saw was him... He has been for 30 years against inter every intervention. He said there's never been an intervention he could think of having supported. You know, he was against intervention in Kosovo, which probably stopped a, you know, well, didn't stop a genocide, but prevented it getting any worse. And now he said that, you know, instead of forcing a resignation, he's decided he'd rather stay as party leader than try and force his party to fall in behind him. So actually, I, I mean, I think principles are good, but no, you cannot be in power and have entirely have your principles. And I think that's what he's demonstrated, actually, that so, you, have to, you have to be flexible. So I don't is think that a sign of our times now, that you cannot be an effective party leader unless you become more spin than substance. But I don't think it's more spin than substance. I think the only way that you can have everybody do exactly all the things that you want them to do is to be a dictator. I'm sure, you know, Kim Jong-un yeah. sticks to his principles. Everyone else in a democracy has to have some kind of compromise with people. Yeah. That's just what being a leader is. It's trying to take as many people with you as want and get... You know, there's a quote from Nye Bevan, who is you know, fairly left-wing, which is that the language of priorities is the religion of socialism. You have to pick what things you really, really want and what things you're going to let go because you can't get enough people to come with and to you. Be, and to be fair as well, most previous Labour leaders have been quite relaxed about people voting against them. 
Uh, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's still been MP for Islington North for 33 years, and he's voted 500 times against the government. Now, I just put the question, if I vote 500 times against Jeremy's policy, do you think I'll be the MP for Delden at the next election? There might not be, I don't know. Just, it's well, just the, the question, question was about the press, the wasn't it? So, uh, I, and I think the, the starting point is, is right. I mean, I do agree that it's not just about uh, the principles. I don't think that's right. But... They have been, and I know they were utterly vitriolic about Miliband, but they have been, ex they were extraordinary. I mean, the Daily Mail had a two-page article in the week before Corbyn was elected, which was, it was a story that they commissioned of what Britain was going to be like after a year of a Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> prime ministership. And it started... The whole of London was on fire. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, well, that makes sense, because any scout knows the easiest way to start a fire is to renationalise the railways, and then boop, up it goes. And it was utterly full of the most extraordinary... Now, even in Miliband, they didn't go for that. And, uh, you know, oh, now he supports women-only gravity, he's mad, or whatever the things <laughs> they come out with. And, and I don't think it's to do with principles, it's because... The newspapers are owned by very, very rich people who hate what Jeremy Corbyn stands for. So, we, we did you want to come back well, in on it? Because we, we need I to ask wrap you, up now. Because I always think this is a really interesting question. Do you buy a newspaper? Do you pay for any news? No, and I don't support the Labour Party either. Because I think the I, I only I'm... read Private Eye. <laughs> That must have been a very interesting worldview. <laughs> <laughs> always, always getting the news about a month late. You know? <laughs> but I do, I mean, I do a, genuinely It's always think, a cartoon, the news. <laughs> not, to be, not to be a terrible shill from, you know, my most, or, you know, the indie, you know, but, but that's one of, that is one of the issues that we have, is that pe you know, those, there is a reason that those papers are very successful, is because a lot of people buy them. They vote every single day, essentially, by buying that paper. And that's a big problem that we have, is that, you know, I'm not saying that everyone on the left is a miserable skimp bastard, but... They seem reluctant to buy left-wing newspapers, and that's not purely about proprietors. Although I, t I take your point that it is, you know, there is a, a very obvious corporate interest behind a lot of the media. But yeah, buy buy news if you love so left-wing news. Buy left-wing news. We, we've only we only had time for three questions, and two of them from the same person, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, but thank you very much for coming tonight. Uh, obviously, um, we we do have to wrap up now. We started with Jeremy Corbyn, and we finished with Jeremy Corbyn. I'm sure. <laughs> At the next meeting, we may well also be <laughs> discussing a little bit about Jeremy Corbyn. The, uh, in terms of we don't have a meeting in December because it's the last Monday of every month and that's part of the Christmas holidays and we're slacktivists. So we're having, <laughs> we're having December off. We will be coming back on January the 25th. Um, that is the last Monday of the month when our guest will be the uh, SNP MP Tommy Shepherd, also owner of the Stand Comedy Clubs. He'll be here. We have Deborah Orr, who's a Guardian columnist, and we will also have Dr Phil Hammond, who is a, a private eye contributor, madam. You, you've probably read his work many times. <laughs> and uh, also has a book out at the moment called Staying Alive, um, How to Get the Best Out of the NHS. So we'll probably be discussing some of that as well. So thank you very much for coming out tonight. Just before we go, for those of you who weren't quite sure exactly what had happened this evening, or maybe why Mark was on Twitter uh, <laughs> lying about how old his son was, um, maybe we could go to our birthday boy just to recap exactly what's happened so far. Sure, Andy. Well, um, it seems that people on Twitter have a poor sense of humour, although that's not necessarily just restricted to Twitter. Um, the uh, illegal wildlife trade is bad. Uh, we should lobby our MPs and for the FCO to update their briefings and hashtag end IWT. Apathy uh, means younger and poorer people, or the younger and poorer you are, the less likely you are to have your view taken into account. So we should have votes at 16. Uh, that Osborne has a flexible approach to austerity and writing to Kim Jong-un is unlikely to be helpful. <laughs> uh, visit livingwage.org.uk and ask our cleaners whether they're achieving the living wage. Uh, Corbyn is more popular than Miliband. Blair, according to this part of the audience, seems like a very good leader. Uh, <laughs> There's a, a, question over, a question over who's to blame for Labour uh, disunity and D. Ream's career was far too short. <laughs> and finally, uh, on Syria, uh, Corbyn would like to bomb no one. Labour is uncertain who to bomb. Uh, Cameron and the Tories would like to bomb everyone. Britain may inadvertently bomb itself. Putin is dreaming of bombing NATO. And there's a squirrel in the House of Commons with little intentions. <laughs> Thank you.
I resign. That is stunning work. I have to say, the most sober birthday boy I have ever had. We will buy you a drink upstairs in the bar. Please come and join us, ladies and gentlemen. Um, for those of you who are listening on, on the podcast, then uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please rate, review, share and subscribe. That's what I've been told to say. So please, yeah, we look forward to, uh, to the next meeting. Um, until then, a big round of applause, please, for our guests who turned up tonight. Thank you very much. And for our secretary. And we'll be back at the end of January. Feel free to contact on Twitter, on Facebook, andyparsons.co.uk. Thank you very much. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.